0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 123. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been checking out Cheer, a new indie platform adventure game. I've also been getting very hyped for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and Nintendo showed off some gameplay for the very, very first time. I also managed to play some of the Diablo 4 beta. I'll bring you my hands-on impressions of that later on, so it is a busy show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week and Nintendo finally showed off some gameplay for Tears of the Kingdom and managed to strike that balance between showing just enough to wet everybody's appetite without spoiling the game too much. Now whatever they did it seems to be working because I ordered the Tears of the Kingdom OLED Switch plus also the collector's edition of the game. So I'm super hyped and I've got the collectibles to show it. I also managed to check out the Super Mario Bros movie at the cinema on Friday here in the UK. This one looks like it's going to be setting major records at the box office regarding animated releases and for good reason. It is a really, really fun movie. So if you're a Nintendo fan, then I would 100% recommend it. Even though there was a massive backlash about Chris Pratt voicing Mario, I think, to be honest, he did a pretty good job. So Jack Black is excellent as Bowser and Seth Rogen does a good job as Donkey Kong. The story overall is a little bit thin, but I think there's plenty of room to follow up on this one with other movies. I'm not really sure I'd want Illumination doing a Zelda movie, but they could certainly do a Donkey Kong standalone movie, Kirby, or maybe even Pikmin. So if you get the chance to see the Super Mario Bros. movie, then I thoroughly recommend it. Well, before we get into the show today, it'd be great if you could leave a review over there on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast more eyes on it. I do have a link in the podcast description or the show notes if you like the show and you want to leave a review I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I read out the review on a future episode of the podcast. Also, if you want to write in and be featured on a future episode of This Week in Video Games, you can contact me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or you can hit me up on Twitter, it's TWIVG podcast. And you can, of course, subscribe to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games if you want to go that extra mile. Well, that is it for my waffly intro today, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing a few games. First of all, to cheer, which definitely has Breath of the Wild vibes, is the story of a child on an island similar to New Caledonia. As I mentioned before in the intro, we saw some Tears of the Kingdom gameplay, and after that gameplay release, I went back to a classic Zelda game on the Game Boy, recently released on Nintendo Switch Online as part of their Game Boy package, And that one was Link's Awakening. So I hadn't played through the entirety of the game since I was a kid. So it was great to be back. I also managed to play a couple of hours of the Diablo 4 open beta a couple of weekends ago. This one wasn't really on my radar. You know, given Tears of the Kingdom is likely to take over my summer. But is definitely on my radar after the beta. And later on, I will tell you exactly why. Well, without further delay, let's have a look at the gameplay from The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Well, today was the day that many of us had been waiting for. It was the gameplay demo for Tears of the Kingdom, so there was much speculation in the build-up to the gameplay reveal. You know, what would we see? Would we see dungeons? Boss battles? Well, we didn't see any of that, but we did get a good look at Link's new abilities. So without further delay, let's dive right in. First of all, we've got an ability called Recall So this one is an ability that allows us to rewind an object's movement. So in the video, Link spots a large object that falls from a sky island and travels over to its location. You can then select the item with your recall ability and then rewind the movement of that item. So in this case, we can rewind the movement of the falling block to help us get back up to the sky islands. And IGL Numa did say there were many interesting ways to travel to the sky islands, and this was just one of them. Well, next up we had a very exciting ability. This one is Fuse. So this gives us the ability to stick or fuse items together. So by adding items to each other, stats appear to be increased for the item. For example, Link starts with a simple stick and then attacks an enemy to show its durability. And then he fuses a rock with a stick to create what looks to be some kind of mallet or hammer-like melee weapon. And this weapon then becomes more durable and also It appears as if the damage increases with the fusion. Well next up we have a range example, so Link has a long stick and then he fuses that with a rake creating a super long weapon which allows Link to attack from range, keeping out of reach of enemies. Now it's not only melee weapons that can be fused with each other, arrows can also be fused with materials. For example, Link fuses together an eyeball on an arrow to become a homing arrow, plus he uses some jelly to create ice arrows. You know, all kinds of materials can be fused with arrows to create different effects. That is very, very exciting. Lots of weird and wonderful creations can be made using Fuse. And IGL Numa shows an example of fusing a mushroom with a shield. Yes, a mushroom. And that creates a dust cloud explosion when he is attacked by an enemy. And that cloaks Link and the enemy in mist, reducing the enemy's visibility and allows Link to get in a sneak attack. So fusing what were weak weapons with other items can turn them into much stronger weapons. Okay, next up we've got the very interestingly named Ultra Hand. So this is an ability that allows us to put together vehicles. So in the gameplay example, Alnuma quickly puts together a raft made from logs with Link picking up each log and then fixing them together with what looks to be a green goo material. So items could be attached and detached from one another very easily, and IGL Numa puts together three logs and also rearranges their composition, and he also finds a fan on the ground, which is then attached to the logs to form a makeshift raft. And essentially it creates a boat with a nice little propeller, allowing Link to get across the lake on the Sky Island. While well, IGL Numa did make reference to the car and the flying machine that was seen in the recent trailer, and he said that these vehicles wouldn't be available right at the start of the game. So perhaps Link has to upgrade his ultra-hand ability before constructing these machines. Again, much like Fuse, this has massive game-changing potential to create cars, boats, flying machines, and all different kind of vehicles as well. Well, next up we've got Ascend. So this allows Link to travel upwards through solid material. This solid material can be a ceiling of a concrete structure, or it can even be a hill or a mountain. Previously, Link had to climb mountains to be able to travel upwards using stamina, but now we can travel using Ascend. It looks like Link can't travel forever, and perhaps it's similar to swimming, where you have a certain time limit to travel before Link dies or even passes out. We originally saw this ability in the second trailer back at E3 2021, but we only saw it for a short glimpse, but now we know exactly what was going on here, and it matches pretty well to that patent that Nintendo filed. Okay, the next one wasn't an ability as such, but this one was skydiving. So we finally saw a glimpse of Link's skydiving abilities with Link thrown from a sky island during a battle, then hurtling towards the ground there towards Hyrule. Link can propel himself faster towards the ground with a diving motion while he's falling, and then he can also dive directly into a river. I also assume you can get your glider out to land softly if there's no water to dive onto. Okay, well that is it for the abilities, but there were a few other interesting things that I spotted. But let me know down in the comments if I've missed anything. First of all, and one of the most exciting things, is probably the zone I charge. So this was an item that dropped when Link killed one of the Construct enemies on the Sky Islands. So I'm assuming these charges are for the item on Link's belt, but IGL Noma didn't mention them in the video, we just saw them. So we did see a battery design in the UI when Link uses the raft, So perhaps the battery meter is related to the Zonai Charges. So when we use that Ultra Hand ability, there is a green liquid that joins together items, and that could be the liquid stored in the vials that sits on Link's hip. Well, next up we've got Shrine, so it looks like at one point Link's Shrine meter is going off down in the right-hand side there. So it's going to be interesting to see if they make a return, or if the Shrine detector is going off for another reason. Well finally at the end of the video it wasn't part of the gameplay presentation it was just after when IGN finished but we got the confirmation of the Tears of the Kingdom OLED switch. We're going to get a new pro controller and also we're going to get a switch case as well. So the Tears of the Kingdom OLED switch was officially revealed at the end of the trailer having been heavily rumored before the gameplay reveal. So this is going to be released on the 28th of April 2023 and then we got the pro controller and the switch case coming on the 12th of May 2023. Well, overall, I thought it was a very good showcase. We got more detail, but Nintendo didn't give away too much. They're trying to strike a very delicate balance by not telling us too many details, but they're also showing off why this isn't just more Breath of the Wild or just DLC for the previous game. This is a brand new game with a new world, new mechanics, and to be honest, just the fuse and the ultra hand abilities alone, they are enough for me. But together with the other features. I think this has massive potential, and for me, it is a shoe-in for Game of the Year 2023. That coupled with the confirmation of the Zonai, well that really just blew me away, and that has loads of implications for the story. So the Zelda YouTuber community has been speculating about the Zonai for years, but to see it confirmed in the game with that text with the Zonai charge item dropping, well, that was an absolutely fantastic moment for me and really, really exciting. And it's got huge potential for the story. You know, I really can't wait until the 12th of May, 2023. Well, that was an overview of gameplay. But next up, let's dive a little bit deeper into that fuse mechanic. Well, the recent gameplay showcase for Tears of the Kingdom was exciting for many reasons. You know, we can rewind an object's movement with recall. We can build all kinds of structures and vehicles with ultra hand plus also travel through solid matter with Ascend. However, the most exciting ability coming with Tears of the Kingdom, for me, is definitely Fuse, and that allows Link to combine two items, creating interesting new versions of these tools and weapons. Well, let's have a look back at the gameplay demo to see how Fuse might work in the game. So first of all, Link picks up a tree branch off one of the Sky Islands and stands next to a boulder. And we likely have to press a button to start the fuse process. And then you can see energy joining Link and the boulder with a couple of options. So you've got the choice here to fuse the boulder to either Link's stick or the old wooden shield. And we can see the result of the boulder fused to the stick. It looks like a makeshift hammer of some kind. And we can also see later in the trailer what it would look like if Link fused the boulder to the shield. And we see another example of fuse, Link using a long stick. fusing that together with a farmer's pitchfork making a very long weapon with extended range allowing link to keep enemies at a distance so we've seen link fuse weapons and items like sticks pitchforks shields and rocks there's also another type of fuse this time with arrows allowing link to fuse arrows with different monster parts left behind when link kills monsters out there in hyrule so back in breath of the wild you can make elixirs and medicines with the monster parts they were largely underused and this is a very very creative way for link to use those parts so link fuses a leaf to an arrow then changes his mind and fuses some ice choo-choo jelly to an arrow creating an ice arrow so link can also fuse a keese eyeball to an arrow creating homing arrows well, towards the end of the fuse section, Alnuma gets a little bit more creative with the fuse options, including fusing a puff mushroom to his shield, which when attacked explodes in a spore cloud, cloaking Link from the enemy, allowing Link to sneak up on the enemy and kill them nice and easily. Link then briefly fuses a rock to his shield, which I assume then makes the shield more durable. Now what stands out to me is just how simple this is going to be. So you stand next to an item, press Fuse, and then select what you want to fuse the item to in terms of your inventory or the items in your hand. Or when you're drawing a bow, you can open up your Materials menu and fuse Materials to Arrows. Yeah, the impact Fuse is going to have on gameplay is mind-boggling at this point. So one of the great things about the Tears of the Kingdom gameplay demo is Alnuma inviting us to imagine what we can do in the full game. So here in the gameplay trailer, if Link is able to fuse sticks and stones, mushrooms and shields and elements to arrows to create more deadly arrows, what else are we gonna be able to fuse together? Well, fusing melee weapons like swords, that is gonna be fun, or a long stick and a sword, creating more range like we saw with that pitchfork. Fusing together a dagger and maybe a boomerang, that's gonna be quite a deadly combination. I'd really like to see Link fuse together elements and swords so we could create fire blades, ice blades, or even electric blades as well. So a major impact Fuse is going to have is weapon durability and stats. We saw in the gameplay demo Link use a stick on the Zonai construct, and then the stick had regular durability, so it broke after a few hits. Then Link fuses together a rock and a stick, and you can see the attack stats have gone up by plus two, when that fuse process happens, Link then uses this new fused rock and stick combination to kill two constructs, which says to me there's been an increase in weapon durability. Now breakable weapons in Breath of the Wild is a very divisive topic. You either love it or you absolutely hate it. Now I'm hoping that fuse is a partial solution to this. Personally, I quite like breakable weapons as this promotes exploration and doesn't allow us to get too attached to a single weapon like we did in the past. By fusing items or ingredients to our weapons, we could increase the durability and hold onto that item a little longer. But ultimately, I do think they still will break. So the fusibility has massive potential with Arrows and Tears of the Kingdom. In Breath of the Wild, we could purchase different types of arrows, so fire, ice, electricity and bombs. Looking at the gameplay trailer footage, I think we are going to remove the need to buy different types of arrows, as we're going to fuse monster parts with arrows to create new and interesting projectiles. So we've seen the homing arrows already, when combined with the Kisai, that is instantly very cool, and one of the big whale wow moments in the gameplay demo. It's going to be interesting to see exactly what we can fuse to arrows, so we saw the ice choo-choo jelly to create ice arrows, and I'm assuming you can do that with all the other choo-choo jelly types. So fire, electric, ice arrows are all going to be nice and easy to create, Bomb arrows on the other hand well they were one of the best weapons in Breath of the Wild but so far we haven't seen bombs as part of Link's arsenal. Bombs were very easy to come by in Breath of the Wild as we could simply use the Sheikah Slate to create bombs at will albeit behind a countdown timer. So we've seen Link's new abilities include Fuse, Ascend, Ultra Hand and Recall but we haven't yet seen any bomb abilities. So maybe bombs are going to come back into Tears of the Kingdom as an item that we collect rather than craft. Or maybe we use another item to create explosive arrows. Now that is one of the many details we're going to have to wait and see until the 12th of May to find out. One thing I would like to understand are the limitations behind fuse. So can we fuse more than two items together? From the gameplay demo we saw many examples of two items being fused. But can we do more? It is Fuse about combining two items, and then maybe Ultra Hand is about sticking together more items, because in the gameplay demo, we stuck together at least four or five items with Ultra Hand. I think it was three logs and two motors. Also, I'd really like to know if we can fuse armor together. At the moment, we've only seen items or weapons, but I would love to fuse some armor together to create some really, really interesting combinations. Well, that is it for now for the Tears of the Kingdom gameplay and diving deeper into the gameplay mechanics. So really, really exciting stuff. Can't wait for May the 12th. I also managed to bag myself an OLED Tears of the Kingdom Switch. I did notice they are still available. So if you're in the UK, you can get those at game stores. I do think they're available on Amazon as well and maybe at Smith's Toys too. So if you want to get hold of one of those collector's edition gold Nintendo Switches, You can go out there and find it on Game, Amazon, and also Smiths. Well, that is it for now for Tears of the Kingdom. And next up, let's go back to the past. This one was recently released on the Nintendo Switch Online Game Boy package. And this one is Link's Awakening. Originally released in 1993 and started as a side project to port A Link to the Past to Nintendo's new console, the Game Boy, Link's Awakening has been through many iterations from the original, the Game Boy Color, and a Nintendo Switch remake in 2019. Well, Link's Awakening has been recently added to Nintendo Switch Online, so now is a great time to check it out if it's your first time, or if you're revisiting this classic Game Boy game. Well, Link to the Past had recently been released and it was a massive hit in the early 90s. Staffers at Nintendo took a Game Boy dev kit and started a pseudo-after-work club, seeing if they could port the massively successful title to the Game Boy. Well, the fourth iteration of the Legend of Zelda series was born out of that process and it turned into Link's Awakening and would go on to be the definitive Game Boy experience. No, five years after the original release, Nintendo reworked the original into Link's Awakening DX, adding color as well as new content to improve the game. Well, Link's Awakening is different from all other Zelda games that came before it. We're not in Hyrule, Princess Zelda is nowhere to be found, and we're not out to retrieve the Triforce. This is the story of the mysterious Kaholin Island, where Link wakes up after suffering a disaster out to sea on his ship. After collecting our sword and shield we're met by an owl who tells us a story of the sleeping windfish and it's our job to collect the eight instruments and play them in order to wake him up. Well we travel around Caholin Island solving puzzles and completing dungeons and we got items along the way that allow us to progress in the dungeons and explore new parts of the island. And a few items return from A Link to the Past including the Pegasus Boats The hookshot and the mirror shield. There's also new items introduced as well including Rock's Feather which allows Link to jump around improving his mobility. Side-scrolling sequences were introduced as well similar to Zelda 2, albeit these were bite-sized side-scrolling areas rather than the majority of gameplay as found in Zelda 2. There's something strange about Caholin Island underlined with the addition of Mario and Kirby characters. So we've got Bow Wows, Goombas, Kirby himself, and also photos of Princess Peach. The villagers too seem suspicious and all is not quite right on the island. You know, the environments are varied. You know, we've got our home base of Mabe Village, plus rivers to swim, castles to explore, mountains to climb and deserts to inspect. Now, much of the team that developed A Link to the Past came back together to work on Lick's Awakening. and You can see that in the gameplay and also the design. So while the story and the setting doesn't feel like a Zelda game, the gameplay certainly does. Link goes from dungeon to dungeon, solving puzzles, unlocking new items and levelling up as he goes through with the weapons. The dungeon designs they are good, starting off fairly simple and building up to the complex Turtle Rock, which is the final dungeon. Eagle Tower for me has to be the best dungeon, which features a neat mechanic in which you have to unlock the upper levels of the dungeon by picking up a ball with your upgraded power bracelet and throwing it against four pillars. By knocking down the pillars, this opens up access to the floors above. Well, the side-scrolling sequences are used well in the game, so Zelda 2 experimented with side-scrolling, having much of the overworld exploration in the top-down view, and then going to a side-scrolling view for the combat and a majority of the gameplay. Here, Link has to traverse through underground sections, plus we got a few decent boss battles as well. There's a boss battle underwater against a huge fish, plus we fight on the top of Eagle Tower against a huge bird. It's really, really impressive stuff for the Game Boy. Well, the Ocarina makes a return to the game, which lends itself to the great music in Link's Awakening. So as you progress through the game, you'll learn various songs, like the Ballad of the Windfish, Manbo's Mambo, which allows you to fast travel in the game, and one song later in the game allows you to bring living creatures back to life. So the audio throughout the game is great, in particular the moments where you have to play along with Marin as she sings the Ballad of the Windfish. All Link's Awakening also introduced cutscenes to Game Boy games, with a great scene with Marin and Link on the beach near the start of the game. Marin tells Link about her dreams to soar with the seagulls and trying to imagine what is beyond the sea. Nintendo do hint at a romantic connection between Link and Marin, and you can see that Marin is desperate for Link to tell her what else is out there in the world. As someone who always wanted to spread their wings and leave home for something new, this really resonated with me when I first played it as a kid, but also now coming back to it years later. Well, there's some gameplay restrictions in place here, which make a lot of sense given the platform the game released on. You know, in A Link to the Past, you had certain items that were always on, For example, when you get the Titan's Mitt in A Link to the Past, you can pick up heavy rocks at will. Here, in Link's Awakening, you have to equip the power bracelet to enable picking up heavy objects. This means often you'll bump into items when you don't have it equipped and you'll get a pop-up on the screen saying it's too heavy. Now, this can get a little bit annoying and repetitive. Now, some items are always on, like the flippers, but some items like the power bracelet or rocks feather have to be equipped in the A or the B button slots to be used meaning you can spend a lot of time in menus. And that can get a little bit tricky if you're facing off against a boss and you need more than two items to take them down. Overall, Link's Awakening is still a fantastic game. I recommend playing it through via Nintendo Switch Online, which is part of the Game Boy catalogue. However, you can also play Link's Awakening via the 2019 remake if you really don't enjoy the older pixel art graphics. The original Link's Awakening demonstrated to the world Nintendo could craft an exceptional video game on this restrictive platform, and that Game Boy games didn't have to be lesser versions of the game that appeared on the SNES or the N64. It is a slightly different Zelda game from the series, but it is one that stands out and will live long in the memory of anyone who completes it. Well, the game was developed by Nintendo and published by Nintendo. It is released on the Game Boy, Nintendo Switch. And also Nintendo Switch Online and the original release date was 1993. Although it saw remakes and upgrades in 1998 with Link's Awakening DX. And then also the full remake on Nintendo Switch in 2019. Well that is it for now for Link's Awakening and that was really really good stuff. I haven't played that one since I was a kid. And it was also a really good game to play in the build up to Tears of the Kingdom. So I definitely recommend going there and I have been taking advantage of the Game Boy Catalog on Nintendo Switch over the last few weeks, I've been really, really enjoying it, so I definitely recommend you do the same. Well, that is it for Link's Awakening, but next up, let's switch over to the PlayStation. This one is To Cheer. To Cheer is a game about exploring the beautiful South Pacific Islands. They're based on New Caledonia. So you play as a child and interact with the world with the same childlike wonder as Tachia might do herself. The world around you is big, it's beautiful, and it is begging to be explored. Well, Tachia has the ability to soul jump. This is all about inhabiting nearby animals and objects. This means you can take to the skies as a bird, run and jump through the grass as a deer, or hide in plain sight as a rock. Soul jumping is the core mechanic of Tachia and it offers up a lot of hidden surprises and loads of really feel-good moments. So if you get stuck trying to climb up a hill, no worries. Soul jump into a bird and fly through the air. You can also soul jump into a lantern and set things on fire. Well, there's definitely more than a little Breath of the Wild in this game with the ability to climb nearly every surface. Plus, you also get given a glider early in the game as well, which allows you to jump from a great height and glide safely to the ground without hurting yourself. The trees in Tachiyah are particularly fun as well, given you can climb them and propel yourself off them, using them to create momentum and then you can climb some more. There's also a decent gameplay loop of climbing, jumping, flying, gliding, and it all adds up to Tachiyah feeling pretty great to play. So our new Caledonian landscape is designed with Tachiyah's ability in mind. As well as soaring high in the skies, you can also dive underground and swim through the brightly coloured coral Picking pearls as you go. There are collectible goodies everywhere to be found. You can propel yourself from the tops of trees, jump on huts found in the village, and climb little mountains found on the island. It's all very, very satisfying and gives you a sense of childlike wonder. It's like looking at the world through the eyes of a child. In terms of story, it's fairly surprising. Looks like it's all going to be cute and calm. Actually, you jump right into the action. People get kidnapped, some guy gets a big knife in the face, kids get eaten. That's not really what I was expecting, but it's entertaining all the same. The gameplay takes the form of missions. We have to work your way from A to B. From looking at the game at a distance, you might think it's a calm stroll on a nice island, but the Chi is dealing with hard-hitting topics and isn't too removed from an early Far Cry game. At first glance, you might think this is suitable for young children, similar to Kirby, but I would think again on that one, given there is a little bit of machete action at the beginning. So to back up to the gameplay, there are plenty of things to do between exploring the islands, things to collect, coconuts to shoot from trees. With your pea shooter, you've got carving, mini games, fast travel points to unlock, and enemies to surprise. There's an element of music rhythm games in here too. We get to play a little ukulele and percussion with leaves. That is all really good fun while acting as a love letter to the New Caledonian Islands themselves. In a word, Tachiyah is charming. At the start of the game, we see photos of New Caledonia. And to be honest, I hadn't heard of these islands before. You know, I knew of some of the Pacific Islands, but not New Caledonia specifically. Tachiyah gives the uneducated a chance to see a little bit of their culture, experience their music, their food, their languages, and also their art as well. Tachiyah is one of those games that will stick with you long after you've played it. The main story is about seven hours of gameplay, but being immersed in the culture and the values of the people and families in the game will definitely last much longer in the memory. Well, the game was developed by Awaseb. It was published by Awaseb and Kepler Interactive. It's released for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 and PC, and it originally came out on the 21st of March, 2023. Well, that is it for now for cheer, But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. At number 10 today, we've got Minecraft, that is holding steady at number 10. At number 9, down one place from last week's number 8, is God of War Ragnarok. At number 8 is Super Mario Odyssey, that is down one place from last week's number 7. And at number 7, down three places from last week's number 4, is WWE 2K23. At number 6, it's Gotham Knights. And then at number 5, holding steady at number 5, is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. At number four, it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. That is up two places from last week's number six. Then at number three is Hogwarts Legacy. That is down one place from last week's number two. Then at number two, it's FIFA 23, up one place from last week's number three. And then still in at number one is Resident Evil 4. So Resident Evil 4 doing really, really well with sales and Capcom have another remake hit on their hands. And I didn't get to dive into Resident Evil 4 straight away. I had a few other things going on. I really can't wait to dive into that when I should be bringing my review on the next episode of the podcast. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts. But a few weekends ago, I got to jump into the open beta of Diablo 4. This one kind of took me by surprise. I wasn't really looking forward to it, but I'm really looking forward to it now after jumping into the open beta. Early last year, I really got into Lost Ark, which is kind of a similar isometric ARPG but there's nothing like Diablo and this one, and this one is returning to its dark roots. Well, next up, I'm going to bring you my first impressions of the Diablo 4 open beta. (music) Diablo 4 is nearly upon us, and it recently held a couple of betas. One closed for fans who pre-ordered the game, and then the following weekend was an open beta for us regular folk. So I took part in the open beta and I decided I wanted to play it before I pre-ordered it. Signs are pretty good though. I'm happy to report the open beta was a whole load of fun. And now I'm really looking forward to the start of June when Diablo 4 releases. Well Diablo 4 sets the scene in a horrific manner with its opening cutscene. Visually this is one of the most impressive cutscenes available right now. Plus the story elements are gripping too which gives off dark Indiana Jones vibes. So a handful of explorers are on a journey accompanied by a priest. They're overrun by demons in the underground. They're torn apart during a blood sacrifice, leading to the return of Lilith. So Lilith is a very imposing demon character. Once we've met Lilith and the story's been set up, then there's a short character creation session, picking your class, and we've got a good couple of options here at launch. So first of all, the Barbarian. They appeared in Diablo 2 and Diablo 3. They've got the ability to switch between weapons while in combat. The Sorceress, that's returning from the first game, and Diablo 2. Elemental magic type character wielding fire, ice, and lightning magics. Then we got the druid returning from Diablo 2, can shapeshift between human, werewolf, and werebear forms, and possesses earth, fire, and storm magic. Then we've got the rogue returning from the first game. It's a quick moving combatant that alternates between bladed melee or ranged combat with a bow. And finally, we've got the Necromancer returning from Diablo 2 and Diablo 3, utilising dark magic for summoning and attacks. So we create a character, and then it is back to the story. You know, we're caught in a snowy wasteland, and we find ourselves in a rundown village. We meet a hermit voiced by Ralph Innocent, which further supports Diablo 4's focus on narrative with their great investment in acting. So great cutscenes, great voice acting, plus also in-game narrative moments too, there's a great little scene where you get getting knocked out and carried on a wheelbarrow, and characters are talking back and forth, and it's really, really good, and I understand that hasn't really been done in a Diablo series before. So the beta featured access to the Act 1 area, which is pretty big in its own right, but we got a glimpse of the full map, and it is absolutely huge. Diablo 4 takes a leaf from Destiny 2's book, given it's a big open world where you can see other players, as well as take part in shared quests with your friends. So, it is an interesting loop given the original Destiny arguably implemented a lot of what Diablo was, but in first person shooter form, and now Diablo 4 is taking inspiration from Destiny 2 with its nods to MMO like gameplay. So, as well as Destiny 2, Diablo 4 clearly has one eye on Lost Ark, the Korean MMO RPG brought to the West by Amazon Game Studios. Well, Diablo 4 is going back to its roots of being a much darker game than Diablo 3. The environments are dank and they're dirty. Demons are around every turn. Villagers are drunk and whisper doom-laden ideas into your ears. The visuals for Diablo 4 feel like a reaction to the audience feedback from Diablo 3. While being dark, it's also a gorgeous game to look at. I played on the PS5 and it's got a great amount of detail and quality to the characters, the enemies and also the environments. In terms of the combat, it's very, very good indeed. I played as a sorcerer giving me the ability to use fire, ice, and lightning from my fingertips. As you play, you can level up and open up new abilities on the skill tree, plus you can also respec for free at any time. So first time I upgraded, I split the skill points across all abilities, then I had to go at respecing into a single element type, focusing on fire. So the combat is a little slower than Diablo 3 and also less dynamic than Lost Ark, but there definitely is potential here. I imagine once you build up a good collection of skills and abilities through the skill tree, then combat is going to open up and feel a whole lot more satisfying. Performance through the beta was pretty good. Previously I played these types of games on PC, but this time I decided to play on console with a controller. There's something about playing Diablo 4 with a controller that feels much more satisfying to me, as it allows you to feel much more in control of your character on the screen. I find when I play this type of game with a mouse and keyboard, it feels less like you control your little character as you're clicking and selecting where to move and what to hit, and it feels much more floaty. Now, it worked for me with a controller, but if it works for you on mouse and keyboard, then that is great too. You know, I didn't get to play multiplayer just yet, although that is something that I am looking forward to, you know, given you can take part in public events and battles against world bosses with other players in your instance. I'm a massive Destiny 2 fan, and the fact it's taken ideas from Destiny 2 I think is good news. So far, we haven't seen anything related to monetization in the game, which is likely why all you've heard so far about Diablo 4 is positive news, which is a huge turnaround from the diabolical Diablo Immortal that was released on mobile devices. Overall, I think this was a very successful outing for the Diablo 4 in beta, you know, it did its job very well, getting me more hyped for the full release in June 2023. The story and the narrative elements of the game, they've been turned up, and the overriding quality of these moments really, really shines through. I haven't yet had a taste for the end game, which is so important in these games, and that is something that I'm really, really looking forward to in the full release. Well, that is it for the moment for Diablo 4, but next up, let's check in on Destiny 2 and check out all the latest Destiny 2 news. Well, Bungie were back this week talking about their Reflecting on Lightfall article, Grandmaster's Return next Tuesday. Plus, we got a preview of what's returning and what's arriving in Season 21 with regards to the loot. Well, let's hop on over to that article from Bungie. And first of all, they go into Reflecting on Lightfall. So they say, Yesterday we published a retrospective on Lightfall's launch. The feedback you've given us and some of the quality of life changes we've been cooking up for Season 21 and onwards. Destiny 2 is an evolving world and we're committed to making sure the resolution of our first saga lives up to its legacy. So as a recap, these were the main topics featured. So Guardian ranks are meant to represent your accomplishments and your rank displayed will reflect your highest rank earned last season. If you surpass that rank in the current season, the number will update and renewing previously completed ranks will also be fast-tracked and returning players will start at rank 5. Ranking from 5 to 7 will be faster than it was from six to seven. Well, commendations won't be as tightly tied to guardian rank progression, and they're going to reduce their requirements from ranks seven to nine. Leadership commendations from ranks ten to eleven will be retroactive, and they're also adding a best dress commendation. Yeah, most activities will receive adjustments to difficulty and rewards. Enemies won't be as tanky in legend and master activities. Scoring objectives will be adjusted to better suit bounties and guardian rank progression. And they're going to improve the terminal overload matchmaking. And adjustments to team unfriendly Vanguard bounties are coming, and a whole load more. There's also going to be better ways to earn exotic armor. The Vex Strike Force will award unobtained exotic armor pieces on a knockout list. That is a very, very good change. And they're introducing exotic armor focusing next season. That is a really good change. And updates to more than 50 exotic armor pieces are coming next season. There's also build crafting next steps for Season 21. Two new armor mods are coming. Shoot to Loot will collect orbs of power in addition to ammo. And they're adding one new strand aspect per class. artifact perks will be refunded and applied individually. And you're no longer going to need the full reset to change your build. Well, there's no power level increase in Season 21. So the schedule will change a little bit. Trials of Osiris is going to be available in Week 1. Grandmaster Nightfalls is available in Week 4. That is very early and Conqueror Gilding Node is still planned for Week 7. Okay, next up, Grandmasters are returning next Tuesday, so Season 20's Grandmaster Nightfall start on April the 11th. For those who have yet to earn the Conqueror seal for the first time, they're only going to be able to complete one Nightfall each week, so if that's the case, be ready for proving grounds, and remember to find proper cover in each room. Everyone who's already earned the seal are going to gild it, complete six featured Nightfalls as quickly as they would like, even in one sitting, as is tradition. During Season 20, we have added two additional Adept weapons available, the Buzzard, a kinetic adaptive sidearm with awesome perks like the brand new Kinetic Tremors, and also the Swarm, the ARC machine gun that has been refreshed with new perks, and that includes Target Lock as well. That is one of the hottest new perks. Don't forget about the other Adept weapons, though. You've still got a chance to get that perfect Wendigo GL3 or the classic Hung Jewry. And since there's been a few changes to hard content with the launch of Lightfall, here's a reminder of how Grandmaster Nightfalls work, in case you need it. So your power level caps 25 levels below the activity levels, so for Season 20, that means combatants will be 1840, but you will be at 1815 at the most. Combatants can take more hits, deal more damage, and are quite aggressive. Champions will be abundant so be sure to have the proper weapons to deal with them, there's one burn and that will cause you to receive 25% more damage from a certain element. There's also two elemental surges and overcharged weapons, both granting a 25% damage increase. Revives are limited and after a certain amount of time darkness will encroach and you won't be able to revive or be revived. And for a more detailed explanation on how these variables will affect you and your teammates, you can check out the article on challenging content in Destiny 2 and you can find that on bungie.net. As a final note, we know some heist battlegrounds feel tough right now, so here's some of the adjustments coming to the Season 20 midseason update to make them a little bit more manageable. So, first up, the heist battleground Mars, decreasing how often combatants spawn on higher difficulties in the tower phase, and increasing the map score multiplier to help players reach score goals without exploits, and adding one additional ammo crate. There's other Heist Battleground changes, though, so reducing the frequency and number of some of the combatants' waves in all boss fights, reducing the health of the Death Tongue Choristers, Hive Runes will also have the same health on all difficulties, and they're going to thin out the Fallen trip mines in Heist Battlegrounds Moon. Okay, next up, we got some new weapons and also some weapons leaving. So last week, we shared that it was your last chance to earn the Adept version of the Trials of Osiris weapon, the Whistler's Whim. This kinetic bow is out of rotation until further notice although you can always get the regular version by focusing engrams with Saint-14. We don't want you to miss the opportunity to earn weapons that will leave the loot pool once Season 21 starts, so we want to share which ones will be out of rotation, as well as the new weapons entering the rotation when the next season launches. Some details are still being kept under covers because we don't want to spoil everything, but yes, there's new strand weapons in the oven. Okay, so let's have a look at the weapons leaving. So first of all, in the Nightfall, Mindbender's Ambition that one is leaving and the final rotation is the 18th of april and also the militia's birthright that one the final week in rotation is the 2nd of may in terms of trials of osiris the inquisitor is leaving and that one goes out of rotation on the 9th of may and whistler's whim, well that one is already gone in terms of iron banner the wise rebuke and the hero's burden they are both leaving and in terms of competitive pvp the rose is also leaving and that was a really good one so make sure you get into competitive and earn a Godroll version of rose well in terms of the weapons arriving next season in nightfall we've got the braytek osprey that is a void high impact rocket launcher and we've got the loaded question that is an arc high impact fusion rifle in terms of vanguard we've got the positive outlook that is a void precision auto rifle auto rifles are looking very very good in the sandbox at the moment in terms of Gambit, we've got a Strand Linear Fusion Rifle. That's very, very exciting stuff. In Crucible, we've got Randy's Throwing Knife. That is a classic kinetic rapid-fire scout rifle. Really looking forward to that one coming back. In Trials of Osiris, we've got an Arc Glaive and also the Messenger. That's a high-impact pulse rifle. That one is coming back. In terms of Iron Banner, we've got a Strand Fusion Rifle and also Swarm of the Raven, so a Void Rapid-Fire Heavy Grenade Launcher. So definitely looking forward to that Strand Fusion Rifle. And then in competitive PvP, we've got an Arc Sniper. So this one is replacing Rose. So it's going to be really interesting to see which Sniper is coming to competitive PvP. Well, that is about it for all the Destiny 2 news today. So let me know in the comments what you thought of that. Well, next up, let's have a look at the games coming in the next few weeks. Well, first of all, on April the 11th, we've got Sherlock Holmes, The Awakened, that is a remake, coming to PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Tron Identity coming to Switch and PC. Then on the 12th of April, we've got Ghostwire Tokyo, that's coming to Xbox Series S and X, also coming via Game Pass as well. On April the 14th, we've got Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection, PS4, Switch and PC. Then on the 18th, we've got a few games. So Disney Speedstorm, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. God of Rock, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Also Minecraft Legends, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And we've got Puzzle Quest 3, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4 and Xbox One. Also on the 18th, The Mage Seeker, A League of Legends Story ps5 xbox series s and x ps4 xbox one switch and pc on the 19th we got horizon forbidden west burning shores that is the dlc coming to playstation 5 we got coffee talk episode 2 hibiscus and butterfly ps5 xbox series s and x ps4 xbox one and nintendo switch that is coming on april the 20th also on the 20th super meat boy forever That is a mobile game coming to ios and android and then on the 21st, we've got Advanced Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp. And then on the 21st as well, Dead Island 2. That is PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S Next, PS4, Xbox One, and also PC as well. Well, that is about it for this week's episode. So if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact on patreon.com forward slash games, or you can email me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVGpodcast. And then you can just hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you thought about the episode. Or you can send me a comment or a tweet or an email and I'll feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, you can check out all the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again and I'll see you soon.